welcome to the Autism Hour podcast, where we view each and every individual as valuable and capable. I'm your host, Chelsea Anderson, and today I had the opportunity to talk to Will Barron. Will has five years experience working as a licensed specialist in school psychology in elementary and middle schools. Progressively gravitating towards autism cases in this position, Will decided to specialize in this area of highest professional interest and fascination. In seeking a higher degree in the field, he is currently a third-year student alongside me in the Autism Intervention PhD program at UNT. I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Will, and um, I just want to let everyone know that I will be going on a short hiatus for the next couple of months. I'm taking some exams at UNT and just really need to focus on those, so I will pick up the episodes in the summer, so be on the lookout for a new episode um, in the summer. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, Will, and welcome to the Autism Hour podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, can you start by talking a little bit about yourself? So... I guess on the track of professionally, I went to LSU in Baton Rouge, got an undergraduate degree in psychology and anthropology. I was one class away from getting a double major in anthropology, so okay. I went ahead and got a double major, wow. almost by accident. Okay. I went to LSU in Shreveport to get my school psychology degree, mm-hmm. and I worked in a district north of Houston for four years. Okay. In the last year or so, probably the last two years, I started to notice that my favorite cases were autism cases. Okay. So I would spend more time with observations, teacher interviews, just or was more interested in those cases. Okay. So I started looking around for what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. Because mm-hmm. I could either do what I went back to doing now, which is a full-time licensed specialist and school psychologist, where I do special education evaluations, teacher consultations, observations, working in a public school. Mm-hmm. So kind of a generalist job where I, I do ADHD evaluations, emotional disturbance, autism. Mm-hmm. So I kind of decided that I didn't want to have a general job and work for a public school system yeah. necessarily for my entire career for the okay. rest of it. Mm-hmm. So autism was interesting to me. And I started looking for programs to get a PhD in, and then I found UNT. Yeah, and okay, let me back up a little bit. When you first started out, why were the autism cases your favorite? What made those so different? Because it's so interesting to find out why they're, why they're struggling. Mm-hmm. It's hard to figure out how to be a functioning human being, because academically, you can identify a reading de- deficit mm-hmm. or a math deficit, and you can clearly find out what's going on. Yeah. But if a kid's not in the flow of the classroom as far as following cues and directives, and they don't understand personal space, and they're not good with eye contact, mm-hmm. and all these things that are happening, it's just a class of a whole cluster of behaviors that, that you know is part of one thing yeah. or generally one thing but you're not sure how to describe that. Mm-hmm. You're not sure where the impairments end and where the strengths begin. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge puzzle. Yeah. How much did you learn about autism when you were studying, um, like before you graduated from your master's program, I guess? I feel like a good bit. Okay. We focused on ADHD a lot, mm-hmm. ADHD evaluations okay. and 
systematic classroom observations and in attention hyperactivity autism I feel like we spent a, a good deal of time on it okay so I went into the field knowing pretty good about the the characteristics okay and the the functional impairments that could show up in the classroom okay like transitions mm -hmm. social skills deficits yep. difficulty following directions so pretty, pretty cursory yeah knowledge of all the characteristics but uh -huh. <clears throat> but knowing that it was it was easier to get better at recognizing all the features once you have some observing experience because mm -hmm. you can see okay that I see mm -hmm. what that is I see what that is yeah like and I've heard file. of that before yeah right yeah okay so what additional knowledge do you feel like you gained through pursuing your PhD that's a hard one because <laughs> I feel like I've gotten so much better at really articulating strategies for teachers mm -hmm. that's where I've I've gotten much better at okay how do I implement this behavioral incentive chart I've gotten better at creating templates for okay. different interventions and, yeah. and on the fly coming up with intervention strategies mm -hmm. that are very positive reinforcement based and contingent on appropriate behavior and just having a more on the feet working knowledge of yeah. okay this is what's happening in the classroom let's try this specific intervention okay more on the fly targeted individual intervention strategies mm -hmm. that just better at coming up with solutions and, okay. and ideas for interventions than I, I was before. Okay. Feels less clunky and more integrated mm -hmm. and, and it makes more sense and they're just more effective. Yeah. Have you found um, that teachers are pretty receptive to the strategies that you suggest? Yeah, they're they're very receptive. That's awesome. Because they want something. Yeah, they want they a want, solution. They want a solution. They want help. Yeah. And if it makes sense, especially since it makes sense, mm -hmm. if you just throw something at them, well, here's a behavior chart, and find some things that you want them to do, and then rate rate their behaviors, and give them praise. Because mm -hmm. if you tell someone that something that's vague and doesn't really yeah. make step by step logical sense. Mm -hmm they're not going to buy in and they're not going to take it that seriously and they're going to say basically oh okay thank yeah, you I'll well, try that and the reality is a lot of teachers are very busy so adding more to their plate probably isn't the best route right. to take so okay tell us what a day in your life looks like a day in the life of an LSSP a day in the life it's <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about being an LSSP because it's, it's extremely varied okay it's not it's varied activities but it's, it's not even routine in the way it's it's, it's varied. It's not like you have meetings in the morning and then you have teacher consultation, mm -hmm. you have observations. It's different every single day in the order that it happens. Okay. So I would say 30% of the time I spend in admission review and determination meetings. Okay. So special education meetings mm -hmm. for, for students who need at minimum those annual meetings mm -hmm. to review their eligibility if we, for looking at eligibility, their current level services and supports counseling services pulling students out of class for individual counseling probably 15 20 percent okay i'm learning i'm trying to this. do math <laughs> <laughs> doing mental math 30 percent is probably report writing okay of the gathered information mm -hmm. and the rest of that is teacher conversations consults observations 
Okay. Data gathering information. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize how much an LSP is responsible for doing, so that's yeah. really encouraging. Um, okay, so talk about the diagnostic process for individuals with autism specifically. What is your mm. role in diagnosing individuals with autism? So my role is to, I don't have the credentials to diagnose. Okay. So that is kind of comfortable in some situations because you can pull back and say, well, I'm not saying your child has autism, yeah. but they meet criteria for autism okay. based on these, these criteria that are laid out in IDEA, mm -hmm. Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which is applied for school districts to look at the eligibility of autism, which is significant social impairment, mm -hmm. stereotype movements, difficulties with communication, communication, communication yeah. transitions. Yeah. So, to look at all these characteristics of autism, I do a lot of observations in the classroom. And with the experience of the program, that's, that really comes out. I don't need to do as much rating skills mm -hmm. or, or direct assessment or consultations with other people because I can get a lot of information from observing in the yeah. classroom. Okay. Transitions, how, how they relate to other kids mm -hmm. when they're in line. Yeah. Um, socializing at, at the lunch table. Do they glance around? Do they notice other kids? Are they straight ahead? Yeah. Repetitive movements, mm -hmm. um, class-wide cues. Do they need a second prompt or can they follow along? Yeah. You know, all these tons of little characteristics that can find in observations that, that can go along with the teacher and parent rating skills that are specific to autism and and often a general rating scale to see if there are any other concerns. Mm -hmm. So cognitive testing, teacher parent rating skills, observations, student interview. And that's, that's generally the, the information I gather to, to look at the eligibility of autism to see okay. if, and their academic performance, okay. to see if these no impairments, if they exist, are they resulting in functional or academic impairment mm -hmm and that, that determines whether or not they meet criteria for autism. And do you collaborate with any other professionals when you're making that eligibility decision? Usually, the, some cases, the SLP, the okay. speech and language pathologist, okay. yeah. they're seeing some pragmatic or speech and language issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are you primarily the person that delivers the diagnosis or the eligibility to a parent during mm -hmm. those ARD meetings? Okay. Yeah. How does that typically go? Typically pretty good. Okay. I haven't hit a snag this school year yet with wow. parents thinking that, no, my child doesn't have autism. Wow, that actually surprises me because I was a previous PPCB teacher, so mm -hmm. I would be in those ARD meetings when they right. would receive an initial eligibility determination. And I had several different families who either questioned it or just didn't know a lot about autism, so had a lot of questions because of that. Right. Or were kind of against the diagnosis and were pushing for another diagnosis. So. It's interesting to hear you say that you haven't experienced that this, this school year, at least. So. No, I've actually had, had two meetings today mm -hmm. that I was kind of thinking they would be contentious and yeah. things would come up, and they haven't. That's great. And the thing that's kind of helped is to go over the report before the meeting, for sure, mm -hmm. but also to not have a paragraph explaining why the child has autism, but bullet-pointing the observations, okay. teacher and my own observations, that line up with autism, or yeah. those that do not. Mm -hmm. do, you, do parents typically have a lot of questions in those meetings that you have to answer? 
about autism <clears throat> or about the observations? It varies by the parent. Okay. Some parents, they, they feel, I guess, intimidated or not sure what's going on or they just trust the school. Mm-hmm. They just trust the teachers and, That's great. and the school district. That, okay, if you're saying he or she has that and what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So more about what are we going to do than the condition. Okay. I guess okay. it might take some time for it to sink in. Or... Yeah, and they might express that elsewhere and not right. necessarily in the meeting. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's talk big picture. So where do you see yourself in five years? In five years, I think I, I, think I always want to do this, be oh, an LSSP. LSSP. Okay. But I want to, five years down the road, look more towards doing it part-time okay. to have continuing experience working with kids, not just kids with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, but work in the school system, be around kids, be around teachers, and for the rest of my time, do parent consultation. Okay. So parent consultation online via Skype. Okay. For, I think, a service that's, that's more of a generalist service. Okay. Because you have... Specific to autism. Yeah, like, you know, you have the, the clinics that have specific prescriptions for apply behavioral analysis mm-hmm. and, and behavioral behavioral strategies to promote positive behavior and I'm not trained really for that okay to be an ABA therapist and to run a clinic or have have that kind of overhead and train other people and I'm not that on top of things okay but I am on top of things enough to provide parents with information of okay my child qualified for autism what does that mean mm-hmm. yeah what is autism um, I have an IEP. What is this? Yeah. I have this report, and they say my child doesn't have autism. Why not? I think they do, or the mm-hmm. other direction. Yeah. Um, I think that's so needed, too, because so yeah. many parents walk into those IEP meetings or ARD meetings, as we call them in Texas, and just have no idea what anyone is talking about. You know, they sit for right. an entire, like, two-hour meeting and are completely just overwhelmed and stressed right. and anxiety-ridden, and that could be avoided if they just had some information prior to that. So... Right. Is that what you've seen during your experience working in the schools? Is parents just oftentimes don't know what is going on in the meeting? They don't, yeah, they don't know the, the acronyms per se mm-hmm. or what social skills instruct. They don't know the questions to ask in a lot yeah, of cases. Absolutely. They might be, okay, social skills instruction sounds good, but what, what is that? What, mm-hmm. We're going to work on targeted specific skills, mm-hmm. just like with academic skills. Yeah. We're gonna, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to build on these skills that are laid out, for example, in the objectives of an IEP goal. Mm-hmm. We're building up on those objectives to reach the annual goal. Mm-hmm. And if your child reaches that goal before year is up, then, and you get that information in a progress report, you have the right to contact the school and say, hey, can we, can we re- meet goal. again to yeah. form a new goal? Mm-hmm. So all this information this, that, that a savvy parent can have to help their kid better at home and mm-hmm. to put pressure on the school a little bit yeah. in certain situations yeah. and just basically communicate and have have the the school language to know how to do that yeah okay so you said that you or you just laid out your like future career plans how do you think your PhD has helped you to um, go on that path towards that direction so how has it furthered your career aspirations so it's given me it's up my stats. Okay. Like thinking of, I'm thinking of like a video game character. Mm-hmm. My strength, my stamina, <laughs> whatever. 
So, so everything as far as behavior intervention knowledge, observations, what I'm looking for in the classroom, um, being a being a teaching fellow and teaching a class, it's helped with with relaying information mm-hmm. in a in a clear format. Talking yeah. talking at meetings it's become maybe more comfortable because I'm used to talking in front of class mm-hmm. like like you have. It's, yeah. that helps. Yes, definitely. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Preparing presentations. I've given a couple mm-hmm. presentations, so got a lot of experience with just throwing together presentations mm-hmm. that made sense in a relatively quick amount of time. Yeah. So in my career, it's just helped across the board in a lot of different areas. For the other side of things, where I want to do parent consultation, private practice, I can't do that without a PhD. Mm-hmm. So I can't do that with a license, um, a specialist degree. Yeah. Yeah, you need that further credential for that. Right. Yeah. Um, what about the research side of things? Do you have any interest in continuing to do research outside of your PhD program, or is that something you're not as interested in? I'm not as interested in that. Okay. Um, I'm interested in, because that's really helped, too, to, to read the research of mm-hmm. what's effective, mm-hmm. the intervention strategies, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help to go through the dissertation process and, and conduct a study. Because you're gonna learn so much about, and I'm gonna learn so much about how to structure a study, how to be specific, mm-hmm. and implementing the strategies, how to collect the information. So it's gonna be not just a useful exercise, but it's, I'm gonna learn a lot through that process. Yeah. So even though I don't want to do research in, in the future, I don't think <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna help. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm going to throw a little application type question Mm -hmm. at you. So if you have a parent come to you and say, my child just received a diagnosis of autism and I have no clue what that means, no clue where to go from here, Mm -hmm. what would you tell them? Well, I guess it'll depend on what I know about the kid. Okay. Because we had a meeting a little while ago where I was looking through the evaluation that another LSSB conducted at a different campus, mm-hmm. and then he, the kid transitioned to our campus. Okay. And just looking at the skills and the strengths that the student had, the outcomes looked pretty good. Okay. The, the kid was socially responsive, mm-hmm. he would interact with examiners, wasn't great about eye contact, mm-hmm. or knowing how to initiate conversation, but he would respond to it. Okay. Functionally in the classroom, he was okay. So... If there are a lot of skills and strengths, mm-hmm. I can have that conversation with parents of, you know, you have a whole spectrum of autism. You have yeah. the high fun- higher functioning kids and, and the lower functioning kids. Mm-hmm. If their child's in the higher functioning kids, I can have a much, a much more optimistic conversation of, look, these are skills that he can build on. These are social mm-hmm. skills and mm-hmm. he has cognitive skills and cognitive awareness mm-hmm. and fluid fluid ability to function in a changing environment he has a lot of skills that we can we can build on if the kid looks like they're lower functioning i can not have that conversation as far as you know his outcome is so much better compared to kids who are lower functioning that can have that conversation of you know, we we can build on these skills mm-hmm. he has these specific skills we're going to build on that and he's in in the right setting we're going to implement these supports that mm-hmm. he requires to benefit and he can make a lot of progress yeah and that's great i think that's a great outlook to have on both ends that there are ways to progress and positive mm-hmm. outcomes that you can 
um, observe if you have the right strategies in place to help that individual. Um, okay, so can you talk more about the resources that you would turn somebody to um, as a parent of a, a child with autism or even as a teacher? What kind of resources do, do you suggest to people? So I'll provide a lot of strategies for myself. I know there are website resources that really aren't coming to mind. Okay. Yeah, and if you think of them later on, you can, yeah, share them, and I can share them with the listeners um, through okay. the show notes. But, yeah, Autism Speaks is one that most people often point. Autism others. Speaks. Yeah, others too. Intervention Central, um, Class Dojo. A lot of behavioral-based okay. interventions and resources that that are for promoting positive behavior mm -hmm. that my mind really goes more towards yeah. rather than social skills instruction and improvement in that area, but more of, of following a routine mm -hmm. and, and compliance and positive behaviors to set the kid up to where they're functioning in, in a place to where they can do their work, they can go through a, a functional routine, mm -hmm. they can function better in the home environment. So a lot of resources I provide are more functional strategies for incentive charts and, mm -hmm. and visual schedules mm -hmm. and, and things that I provide on my end mm -hmm. as far as resources for, for support groups and social skills and other behavioral resources. I really don't go in that direction. Okay. I need to start building up that arsenal. Okay. But I'll provide a lot of information that I've gathered. So when you're talking about behavior, specifically like in the home, so you're giving resources to a parent, um, how do you explain uh, positive reinforcement to them? So use a lot of the behavioral language, I guess, mm -hmm. shaping. We're trying to shape yep. and move the kid more towards showing the positive behavior of, of putting up their dish or mm -hmm are communicating and using their words rather than throwing a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And so if we want more of these behaviors that we've identified, we need to to reinforce that child, to give them a reason to do it, mm -hmm. basically. And how? what ways do you suggest for reinforcing? Like, what do you, if, if a parent's like, I don't even know what that word means, what would you tell them? Yeah, so basically a reward for what the kid likes. Okay. Um, it can be edibles you can use mm -hmm. small treats it can be smelly stickers it can mm -hmm. be moments or minutes on the ipad it yeah. can be a sensory item mm -hmm. uh, a glass bottle or not a glass bottle a plastic <laughs> bottle <Yeah. laughs> full of yeah. liquid with glitter uh -huh. if a child is is um sensorily activated with just visually looking at mm -hmm. something yeah for a kid with autism it can be Anything and everything. It could be if the kid perseverates, if they if they love trains, mm -hmm. you can give them access to trains yeah. for a specific period of time. If you want them to get better about reading, you can give them a book about trains after giving them the reinforcer mm -hmm. of the physical train for a while. If you want to build up that those literacy skills. Yeah, yeah. I think the key is it just depends on the child. It, it really, really yeah. That it child. could be a whole range of all. All kinds of degrees of of anything. Yeah, it could be high fives. Yeah, yeah. It could be that. It could Tickles, be hugs, yeah. anything. Yeah, it could be parent attention. Yeah, teacher attention, adult attention. 
Um, okay, so still along the lines of positive reinforcement, when you provide that as a suggestion to either a teacher or a parent, what are some of the positive, or what is some of the positive feedback you've received um, when they've tried implementing it? Hmm. It could be hit or miss sometimes because parents often are no, not good about consistently implementing the intervention mm -hmm. because you know, it takes time and it, effort. It takes time and effort, and, and they don't want their, to see their child unhappy. Mm -hmm. And if you're shaping behavior, you have to ignore or not mm -hmm. reward an yeah. inappropriate behavior, yeah. and you have, to, you have to reward the appropriate behavior that you want. Mm -hmm. And often that results in a, what's the term, extinction burst. Mm -hmm. The behavior yeah. gets worse before it gets better. Yep. If, like if you're pushing on a door, Use example the other day. If you're pushing on a door and it's not moving, mm -hmm. your you behavior to is to push harder. Yeah. yeah, because you believe that's the the way to open the door. Mm -hmm. yep. So the behavior is going to be escalate before it gets better, and that can confuse a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and it can confuse parents of, oh, this is not working. Yeah. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere that you have to give it an intervention or a strategy at least like six weeks to see some effect before you shift to something else yeah um, so that you're giving it an appropriate amount of time before just saying oh this isn't working I don't like this right um, have you had any success stories from teachers or parents who have used it yeah definitely from teachers yeah this year I've talked to a, a lot of teachers of strategies to use in the classroom and one of them is a, a Lego block intervention okay so the students for example the student has the behavior of blurting out or cursing Mm -hmm. has autism, um, picked up that cursing from a TV show and is just saying that over and over again. Yeah. So they have a stack of cubes, and each cube represents a minute of reinforcement time. Okay. And the child is high level enough to under understand that. Yeah. And each time he blurts out or curses, he use loses a cube okay. for a designated time period. Mm -hmm. And if he uses a replacement word or, or uh, communicates to his in-class support teacher at conversational volume, mm -hmm. then he can have a cube added back to it. Okay. So you can lose minutes, mm -hmm. and, but you can have minutes added back onto it mm -hmm. to where by the end you could have up to 10 cubes or 10 minutes of reinforcement, or you could lose as many as five. Mm -hmm. So still, the child still has reinforcement time, but it depends on that child's behavior of mm -hmm. how much time he can get. And that's working for that student. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so another big picture question. Why do you think it's so important to serve and support individuals with autism? It's a problem that's not going to get better on its own okay. in a lot of ways. They, like any kid, they can, they can observe other kids. They can learn independently um, to a degree but there needs to be active teaching of skills, mm -hmm. just like any academic reading skills. You can have throw books at kids in the room, but if you don't actively teach them how to read, they're not gonna learn how to read, mm -hmm. and they're not gonna have <clears throat> the functional literacy skills to succeed in middle school and high school and as an adult, and it's gonna affect their life forever. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is with, with social skills and functional skills, if you can't, navigate through an environment and function independently and yeah. and have the social skills to approach people and and have 
some degree of eye contact that's mm -hmm. necessary and go through a, a, an appropriate conversational script of how are you, my name is so-and-so, I need this. You know, all these skills that if a child is, is lacking that, you need to, to teach that child so they can be a functional individual Mm -hmm. when they're 20s and their 30s mm -hmm. and their 40s. Yeah, as an adult. Yeah, yeah. It's, a very, it's actually a very short window when mm -hmm. a kid is a kid Yeah, definitely. compared to the rest of their life. Yeah, I tell people this all the time, but we live in such a social society. I think it's so important to target those skills early on before they've developed any other habits or um, ways of you know, gaining access to something or communicating that might be inappropriate. We really need to target that early on so that later on they are independent and not dependent on somebody else to meet those needs and mm. they can contribute to society in some way if they choose to do so and yeah. all of those things. So I think it really is important to focus on those years where they still are able to learn and gain skills and knowledge and experience and all of that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Along those same lines, what are some of the biggest challenges you think our society poses on individuals with autism? Hmm. I guess that, that problem we've talked about in classes before of, of the difficulty in recognizing the disability on the inside. Mm -hmm. you know, if there's a physical disability, it's easier to recognize that the yeah. child needs help or the person needs help. If there's a speech impediment or an obvious cognitive limitation it's mm -hmm. obvious the person needs help by anybody that the person crosses yeah so you know they they basically have a clear indication for everybody they come across mm -hmm. that they need extra help they need extra consideration more yeah. sensitivity mm -hmm. for a person with autism maybe that might not be readily apparent yeah. maybe it will just look like anxiety mm -hmm. and a lot of people have anxiety yeah you know. How do you think that affects people's reaction to kids with autism? Maybe when they see them out in the community and the child with autism is showing some inappropriate behavior. How mm. do you think the fact that the disability is in, invisible, so to speak, mm -hmm. how do you think that affects the person's response? It's affected, but even I'm thinking back like 10, 15 years, mm -hmm. people were way more aware of, of autism than they were before yeah and even seeing True. behaviors in public or hand flapping or mm -hmm. rocking or people might understand that more now than they have yeah ever before so. or seeing a kid who's socially awkward or does something inappropriate or inappropriately mm -hmm. vulgar or whatever it is i think i mean i really think a lot of people are more in tune with are going to be more in tune with that yeah yeah which is really encouraging although i will say I mean, it hasn't been that long since I've been out of the classroom, and I would go on um, life skills field trips where we'd go to the grocery mm -hmm. store and practice shopping and things like that, and there would always be the case where a student would have some challenging behavior in that setting, and people mm -hmm. around me would just stare or make, you know, snide remarks. Really? Or, yeah, and I mean, that was only three years ago, so still a lot of information about autism readily available, but... Even when it was clear that you had a, a, a class. whole class of yeah. students really yeah. make yeah. snide remarks. And, yeah, and just man. not be very, um, I don't know, uh, I don't, they would just have a negative reaction to that. And I was really surprised the first couple of times because it just shocked me that people weren't more empathetic or mm -hmm. just, um, I don't know, helpful, I guess. And Did it make you so, angry sometimes? Yeah, it definitely, I think, made me a better advocate for my students because I really understood in a whole different way what parents were going through and what students were 
um, how they were being treated mm. and received by society. And I think that definitely put a fire, lit a fire under me to say, oh my goodness, like this is going on all mm. the time, I'm sure, in their lives. And that should make me even more um, eager to advocate for them. Mm. So yeah, I definitely saw some of that. Okay, well, um, my last question for you is actually, what piece of advice would you give to another professional in the field of autism? So it could be an LSSP, it could be a teacher, just another professional who's working with individuals with autism. Spend time with the child instead of talking around the child the child. Mm -hmm. That's a great piece of advice. That's yeah. something I still have to like, be very aware <laughs> well, well, of. Well, I'm thinking of what, what do I, I do wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's, I'm talking to teachers, mm -hmm. I'm observing the kid from the outside, mm -hmm. I'm talking to parents, I'm looking at responses on rating scales, yeah. and maybe setting a time, aside a time for a, a student interview and, 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 and talking to the child, mm -hmm. but just being in the in the room with the child, they're lower functioning with whatever objects or yeah. or toys playing they're playing with. with they're playing yeah. with them, mm -hmm. saying hi to them, yeah. even though they might not have the social skills to mm -hmm. do that. But you'll know what's happening in, inside the child, and most likely they're like a lot of kids. They just want attention and mm -hmm. and acknowledgement that they exist, and yeah. and not stepping around them like they're a weird kid. They mm -hmm. just have functional skills they're working on. They. I guess more empathy and just acknowledgement that they're there, mm -hmm. and that they're the centerpiece of what, whatever's happening. Man, that is evaluation. such a big piece of advice. I'm thinking back again to when I was teaching and the number of times people would talk about my students right in front of them right. while also not acknowledging they exist at all. You know, like yeah. not being aware that they're right there and not saying anything to the student. So, yeah, I think that's really important to remember. You could fall into that pattern, and I have. It's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Yes, it was fun. This yeah, was, this thank was you. Thanks for listening to the Autism Hour podcast, where we view each and every individual as valuable and capable. You can find previous episodes of the Autism Hour on iTunes and Stitcher. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review. You can also visit our website at www.theautismhour.com where you can find a list of resources, events, and all of our previous episodes. If you have questions related to autism or would like to share your story, I would love to hear from you. Please send me an email at theautismhour at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great week.